0: Good morning, church. Let's go to the Lord in prayer together. Father, we thank you that you have called us out of darkness into your marvelous light. You've transferred us from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of your beloved son. And you've given us a mission. Lord, we know in a sense it's too big for us, but you've given us Very great promises, Lord. You've promised us the confidence we can have because you have authority over heaven and earth and over every soul. And you've promised us your presence, your enduring presence with us. And behold, I am with you always until the end of the age. We thank you, Lord, that even in this moment, we can come confidently to you through your son, Jesus Christ, who shed his blood for us. We also be confident because we know your spirit is with us right now to work in us that which is pleasing in your sight. So spirit of truth, come. Work your grace in every heart here. And help us to behold Christ so that as we behold him, we might be transformed to be more like him from one degree of glory to another. Take us another degree today as we sit under your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, so whether you have your Bible open or you have the text in your bulletin, um, it's not overly difficult to kind of see the basic flow of the text this morning. So I want to say a couple of things to kind of get us oriented. If I have to blow my nose in the midst of this, I have a head cold, so I might have a little deeper voice than usual this morning too, just in my favor. Um, but uh, the basic flow of the text, just so that you can kind of get your bearings with me. Um, There's bookends to the passage, so on the front end and the back end, so verses 1 through 6, and then verses 13 through 16. The bookends of the passage are uh, geographical details, uh, travel plans. This is where we hear about where Paul is going on his journey and who's going with him. right? So these basic details there. And then in the middle of it, in verses 7 through 12, There's a story about what happened to a young lad named Eutychus. And in one sense you go, what in the world does this story have to do with anything? And then how is it related to all these travel details that can feel very detached? But I'm going to argue that there's actually a really sweet connection between these travel details we have on the bookends of the passage and then this story um, that's embedded in the middle of it so that remains to be shown, but that's the flow of the text there. So travel details, a story, more travel details, and there's a theme that's going to tie the two together. So let's start uh, by looking at some of the travel details. And uh, I want to help us get the big picture. And uh, as you can tell from the reading, there is an awful lot of geographical detail in this text. And so it's extra important that I follow my younger and more tech savvy brother in the Lord, Daniel's lead, um, by looking at a map with you. But uh thanks to Sean, Daniel's younger brother, I'm gonna one-up Daniel because you see it? I got a little highlighter here. Wait, does it work? Yes, it's come there it is. Did you see it earlier showing up on the screen? That's because my kids were sitting on this. Sean help me. There it is. Daniel, you see that? That's right. That's right. Yep. Yep. Still got something to teach you, brother. All right. So here we go. All right. So I want to give you... (laughs) I want to give you... (laughs) Yeah, you're going to be using that next week. I'm going to give you the overview of the... Yeah, the text. Paul's general plan, okay? Just to give you the basic ideas before I get down into more details. So what Paul is planning to do is he's planning to go from Ephesus. Yep, here we go. Ephesus. And he wants to go up here through Macedonia, down in here to Achaia. This is Greece area. I have to keep moving this back. Yeah, come on. Yep, right here. And uh, what he wants to do is he wants to sail over here to Syria where Jerusalem is. So that's his plan. That's where he wants to go. But as we're going to see, there's going to be an Daniel, you're going to have to work out these kings for next week. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, it's a little ghost, ghost mouse here. But okay, so that's the overarching plan where Paul wants to go. So from Ephesus up through Macedonia down into Achaia, Greece, and he wants to travel over to be able to be in Syria at the time of Pentecost. But... That plan's going to be disrupted. So follow with me in the text before we get into more detailed look. So he says, after the uproar ceased, right, that great riot that was in Ephesus, Paul sent for the disciples and after encouraging them, he said farewell and departed for Macedonia. Okay, Ephesus to Macedonia. And when he had gone through those regions, that is the regions of Macedonia up there. Okay, come on. Up here, he gone through these regions. He's coming down here to Greece. And when he had gone through those regions, he had given them, and had given them much encouragement, he came to Greece. There he spent three months. And when a plot was made against him by the Jews, as he was about to sail for Syria, he decided to return to Macedonia. Okay, so his plan was to sail by sea, come back over here to Assyria to get to Jerusalem. But he had to call an audible because there was a plot against him. He's thinking probably that, if he goes to the port, the main central port there in Greece Greece to get on a plane, he's going to be a sitting duck. No, I said a plane, a boat. Uh, <laughs> he's going to be a sitting duck. <clears throat> so his plan is then, instead of traveling by sea as he was originally planning, to travel back up through Macedonia. So he's going to go back up this way and reach out his route. Now he's going to have some travel companions that are going to meet. Yes, yes. Okay, Daniel, maybe you don't want to use this next week. Okay, they're going to meet at Troas. This is going to be a really important place this week. This, that, little, that little city, Troas, is going to be where the story, what happens to Eutychus, that's going to unfold. They're going to linger there for a week. Now, after that's done, they um, are going to continue to travel south. And that's where we pick up in verse 13. I'll read the text and then I'll show you with my handy highlighter here. Uh, but going ahead to the ship, we set sail for Assos, intending to take Paul aboard there. For so he had arranged, intending himself to go by land. And when he met us at Assos, we took him on board and went to Mytilene. And sailing from there, we came the following day opposite Caius. The next day, we touched at Samos. And the day after that, we went to Miletus. For Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so that he might not have to spend time in Asia, for he was hastening to be in Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. Okay, so here we go. We can get this working one more time. Here we go. Yep, here we go. Anytime. Okay, so Troas, down here to Assos. See, they had to travel around here. Paul wanted to walk across the land, probably to have an extended prayer walk. That's my guess. I have no idea why. Okay, then he's going to get, they're going to get, they're going to meet up at Assos. They're going to head down here to Mytilene, then down by these islands, Chios, Samos, and then they're going to land in Miletus right there. And that, so these two places, Troas and then Miletus are going to be the two places that circle in your mind. Troas is where the story of Eutychus is going to take place. So we're going to be lingering there. But then Miletus sets us up for next week because Paul, from there, is going to call for the Ephesian elders to come down from Ephesus and to meet him there for a very powerful, tearful uh, goodbye. And so part of where I left off in the text earlier on was that he's got this group of men that are traveling with him. He's got all these travel companions, and it notes where they're coming from, and they're coming from these different regions that Paul has planted churches in. Okay, so you've got some brothers that are from the region of Galatia, some are from Macedonia, some are from Asia. And the point is, and it's kind of writing underneath, kind of a sub-training stream under this text, is that Paul, one of his goals is to get a collection from these Gentile churches and to bring it back to Jerusalem to give to the Jews there. And so there's probably a lot of good reasons. He's got this group traveling with him that we read about in verses 4 and following. Uh, one, uh, it's, you've got a number of people traveling with him, and he's got a large sum of money. One, it's helpful for financial accountability and integrity. Two, uh, protection, because you're traveling with this much money in that day, you're not going to end up with that much money if you're going by yourself. Uh, another reason, though, would be for unity. You have all these brothers as representatives from all these Gentile churches that are gathering this great, you could call it a benevolence offering for the church in Jerusalem, for the Jews, the Jewish believers. And they're going to gift it to them. What a unifying thing that's happening. And so all that's happening is these brothers are traveling with. And so then when they get down uh, to Miletus, it says there's this note about him skipping over Ephesus. I think the reason is, um, if I had to guess, would be that Paul had spent, as we're going to see in next week's text, Three years, night and day, pouring into the saints at Ephesus. He had deep and profound bonds with these saints. And he knows that if he goes to Ephesus, he's not getting out of there anytime soon. And so he does the next best thing, which is to gather the Ephesian elders and to give them um, kind of some final parting words of love that are going to have a trickle down effect to all those people that he loves back in Ephesus, but he has to make a beeline for Jerusalem if he's going to get back in time for Pentecost. So now we're kind of set up. I think I did double duty for uh, this week and next week. Next week I'm just going to point and say, "See, Miletus, right there." Okay, but that's kind of the flow of the text. And you say, "Okay, what's so? What's the significance, you know, of all these travel details?" Um. You know, some commentators, they're like, they're puzzled because they're going, this was a really big deal, this uh, offering that Paul took up, this collection, this work of grace for the saints back in Jerusalem, but it's not mentioned one time in the text. And they're just puzzled. Just like, why, why is this not mentioned? And I think the reason why it's not mentioned is because Luke understood the emphasis of Paul's life as it's embedded and interwoven in all these geographical and travel details. He understood that Paul, everywhere he traveled, his instinct was to encourage believers. He was wanted to encourage believers. And there's an interesting shift that happens in the text. Look at verse 5. It says, These went on ahead and were waiting for us. And so this is Luke, the one who wrote um, the book of Acts. This is Luke inserting himself here. He's He's part of this. He was part of all these travels, and then you can look down at verse uh, 13. But going ahead to the ship, we set sail for Assus. So Luke is with them, and Luke has, up in an up-close, personal way, seen what's important to the Apostle Paul while he's been traveling with him. And this is where it's really important to say, okay, how do these travel details tie into the broader theme of this passage? Look at verses 1 and 2. This is what this is what Luke was picking up on, and this is what's important to Paul. As important as that offering was, encouraging saints everywhere went was of utmost importance. So look at verse 1 and kind of grab hold of a couple of phrases here. After the uproar ceased, Paul sent for the disciples, and after encouraging them, right? So all the, he gathers the saints, these disciples in Ephesus, and he encourages them. And Let me continue. After that, he said farewell and departed from Macedonia when he had gone through those regions and had given them much encouragement. He came to Greece. Or literally, after encouraging them with many words or having spoken many words of encouragement. In other words, Paul lingered with these believers everywhere he went. He would linger with them and speak words of truth to encourage them, to build them up. And there's often... Whenever you see this word encouragement, it's often connected with the strengthening of souls or the comforting of saints. And so Paul, he's lingering, he's taking time. He's not just checking the boxes as a missionary. Like these are re- real people with real souls and he's slowing down for them because he wants them to be encouraged. He wants to see the churches built up. This is how Paul thought. And to give you one more window into this, think of 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 7 where he says this to the Corinthians, for I do not want to see you now just in passing. I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord permits. It seems so small, these kind of phrases, but they give huge windows into his life. He didn't want to just, you know, just kind of gloss and be like, oh, so now I can check visited the Corinthians, check visited the Galatians, check visited the Corinthians, right? He wanted to linger with them in a way that was meaningful. And Paul's habits of lingering had a way of rubbing off on the people who were with him. He was shaped. He shaped Timothy. He shaped guys like Tychicus that we read about. Some of the guys on this list show up other places in the New Testament. For example, Tychicus shows up in Ephesians and Colossians, and in both times it says that Paul sent them to encourage their hearts. He sent sent him to them to encourage their hearts. Or Timothy. Paul says to Timothy, You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings. Because Paul lingered with Timothy, Timothy became a lingerer with other saints. Paul was able to send him to different places and Timothy had a heart to linger. In fact, in Philippians 2, Paul says, I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. They all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's pro- proven worth. How is a son with a father? He has served with me in the gospel. In other words, Timothy took note of the way Paul cared for people as he traveled. So when we see these geographical details, we need to read into it what's right there in the text. This is a mission to encourage these churches and to strengthen the saints. This is a theme that runs throughout the book of Acts. And it's a theme that runs throughout the rest of the New Testament, a desire to encourage saints in the Lord. So now we come to this story in verses 7 through 12, the story about a young man, young lad named Eutychus. So let's dive in there, starting in verse 7. On the first day... Of the week. Okay, so backing up, right before that, it says that they were at Troas and they stayed there for seven days. And now it says on the first day of the week. So what day is that? Sunday. Sunday is the first day of the week. What's another way it's referred to in the Bible? The Lord's Day. All right. So Sunday, uh, the first day of the week, or the Lord's Day. This it's probably helpful just to note here that there's this is an example, a very early example of churches meeting on the Lord's Day, on Sunday, gathering on the day that Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus rose on the first day of the week, and so it became the church's pattern. Um, And so we see this shift from Saturday to Sunday happening very, very on in the life of the church. But there they are gathered on the Lord's Day. You wonder why they lingered a week and then it's like they wanted to be in church on Sunday. They wanted to gather with a local body of believers. And so there they are gathering for church and think about it in terms of timing. This is around the time of Easter, okay? They would have just celebrated Passover and stuff like that. And so that's in the air, right? So think around Easter time, how we feel about Easter time, right? The death of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, these things are in the air in a special way. There's a special note of emphasis. We always want to emphasize these things, but we do in a special way. during certain times of the year. And so Easter time, first day of the week, Sunday, the Lord's day, they're gathered together to break bread, partake of the Lord's supper, and that would have often been part of a much bigger meal, I think potluck Sunday. Um, they're, They're enjoying a meal together, a fellowship, and it says, Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day, and he prolonged his speech until midnight. So Paul's intending to leave the next day. <laughs> you guys know I'm going to have some fun with this. Okay. <laughs> you guys are anticipating a lot today. Um, Paul's, inti- he's leaving the next day, and he wants to make the most of his time with them. And so he prolongs his speech. And so, so far we got the, we're gathering together on the Lord's day. We're partaking of the Lord's Supper and fellowship. We are hearing the preached word in extended form. He prolonged his speech until midnight. Now we get some of the setting uh, in view. Verse eight, there were many lamps in the upper room where we were gathered. See the we again, Luke's saying we were there. And so it's getting late. There's all these lamps being lit. You can kind of start to picture this third story, big room where all these saints can gather. And uh, the lamps lamps are burning up the oxygen in the air. And uh, then you have, Eutychus, verse 9. And a young man named Eutychus sitting at the window. Okay, he's probably needing some fresh air. It's probably really stuffy up there in the third floor, right? All these lamps burning. He's like, I'll take this spot over there in the windowsill. And he's trying, trying to stay awake for this sermon from the Apostle Paul. And it says that he sank into a deep sleep. As Paul talks still longer. And being overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. Not exactly the way people imagined this special gathering going, but he falls out of the third story dead. I mean, everybody in the church knows him. He's a young guy. Who's a 13-year-old guy here? Come on, don't be shy, Thirteen. Joshua, oh. So Joshua falls out of the third story window. We love Joshua, you know? So this is no doubt, you could say, well, why is this here? Why is this story about this young man falling out the window here in this story? Is it because it's just for kind of a a humorous flair in the midst of it? Or is it just something that was memorable and looks like, I think I'll throw that in there? I have no doubt that it was memorable. And this is something that Luke would want to include. But there's deeper reasons yet. So Paul's lingering. He's trying to take in every minute with the saints. And they're trying to take in every minute with Paul. But this accident happened. Eutychus actually died. That's how I'm reading the text. It didn't say they took him up as dead. It says they took him up dead. So look at the text as we continue through it. It says, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. So he's dead. But Paul went down and bent over him and said, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'll never preach a long sermon again. I'm sorry to you. I'm sorry to the whole church. Oh, sorry. That's not what it says. It says, but Paul went down and bent over him and taking him in his arms said, do not be alarmed for his life is in him. A little bit not unlike what Jesus said, dead when he's you know the little girl's dead and he's like oh she's not dead she's just sleeping and then he they laugh but he raises her from the dead this is a miracle paul raised this young man from the dead like elijah raised the widow's son in the old testament paul raises him here but it just kind of happens in a sense in a nonchalant way just kind of passing yep okay he raises him up he's okay everybody claps like whoa okay uh verse 11 and when Paul had gone up, so back to the third floor. Now, he broke bread and had eaten. He conversed with them a long while until daybreak, and so departed. So, the sermon continued. After, Eutychus is listening, probably more intently. After that, I'm guessing. Um, but so he continues on in the, with the message, and and so they linger until they linger until. Until morning, and so, <clears throat> what's what's the takeaway from this text? What's the takeaway from this story of Eutychus? Why is this even here? Go to verse twelve. And they took they took the youth away alive, and were not a little comforted. I love the way that's worded. Not a little comforted. In other words, they were greatly comforted. But something that's maybe a little easier to miss here. Um, a couple things. One is uh, what do you think Paul would have been preaching about around that occasion? The resurrection of Christ, right? And the resurrection from the dead. These things would have no doubt been on his mind. And he had a long enough sermon. I'm sure he covered that in there. He's talking about a lots, of, lots of different things. And you can imagine this happening as a providential exclamation point on Paul's sermon. Do you imagine this? He's preaching. This accident happens. Paul goes, raises him from the dead. They're putting the pieces together going, he reigns. <laughs> he reigns. So they are not a little comforted. They're not just comforted that, that Eutychus is alive. They're comforted in the very hope that Paul's been preaching about and they've been soaking in for hours together. But there's another thing here that's easy to miss where it says they were not a little comforted. That word comforted shows up two other times within our passage But it's translated encouraged. Okay? So it's the same word in the original in verses 1 and 2. So when you go back to verse 1, and it says that Paul's gathering the Ephesian disciples, encouraging them. And then in verse 2, it says, When he had gone through those regions in Macedonia, and had gone through, yeah, gone through those regions, and had given them much encouragement, or many encouraging words, or had spoken words, many words of encouragement. To them, it's the same idea. I think what is happening here is that that Luke is illustrating something that he's seen in the fabric of Paul's life. Do you see? I mean, it was a little irritating because I think a lot of commentators, it's just like, I think Luke's just adding some humor here. Like in one sense, hindsight, there's a little bit of humor to it. Okay, I'll grant that, but I bet you it wasn't that funny at the time, right? I don't think there's going for humor. I think what Luke is illustrating is what he's seen interwoven in the character of the apostle. Okay, Everywhere Paul went, he lingered with people. He lingered a little longer with believers wherever he went. And so in this occasion, notice how many times in the text it's emphasizing the lingering aspect of what Paul's doing here. Was he doing this for himself? He had to get up early the next day. And set sail. He's pouring himself out for the people. Right? He's lingering. This apostle he learned to linger from a Lord who lingers. And Luke's tying together these details and saying: sometimes you have to stay long enough with people so that they're encouraged, so that their faith is strengthened, so that their souls are ennobled. It takes time to build disciples. The Apostle Paul had that unapologetically in his bloodstream. He wanted them to be encouraged. They didn't want an apostle that just came to check boxes. And they didn't get that when the Apostle Paul arrived. And they're very glad that he did, that they got to linger in Troas in this third story room and hear the great truths of the gospel and to hear about how we are to live the Christian life. And they see it dramatically illustrated by this young man being raised from the dead. This is powerful stuff. In other words, it's highlighting that he lingered. That's the point of talking about him prolonging his speech, him speaking still a little longer, and then going back to the sermon afterwards, he's lingering with the people. There is nothing trite about this. You know, so Eutychus fell out of the window. It wasn't Paul's fault. He was just doing what Christ did, as we're going to see. And it wasn't Eutychus' fault. God knows his frame, you know. All the others were fine that day. Eutychus was having, you don't know what Eutychus' night was like. I mean, he could have been staying up late trying to encourage a different saint. He just couldn't quite hold it together. You know, that morning, he might have been fine the last Lord's Day. Like, who knows, right? We're just told what has happened uh, right here. But the point is that the truth is worth lingering over. And the majority of the people were there. They were hanging in there. You know, three disciples were falling asleep in the garden, but that didn't stop the Lord Jesus from lingering in prayer. And Eutychus, falling asleep, didn't stop the church from lingering in the word. So, um, this is a, just a personal note here. You might not know this. Those closest to me know this. They really know this. Uh, probably my biggest struggle is trying to preach, well, you know this is my struggle, trying to preach shorter sermons, Right? But I actually really do struggle it. It's probably, if you want to point out one thing that discourages me the most, is preaching that I preach too long. Sometimes with the brooms of the week, sometimes it makes me think of C.S. Lewis. He's like, I would have wrote a shorter book if I had more time. <laughs> it takes time to be able to do these It's as succinct as I want to be. It takes time, and there's a lot of other things that are really important. And I have found there's a certain vanity in my own heart where it's like, I want to be so polished. It's actually been good for me in some ways not to be able to be as polished, but to be able to speak in the power of the Holy Spirit, true content of the text and bring it to bear on God's people week in and week out. But one thing that God was ministering to my heart through this text was don't apologize for being a lingerer. Here's the reality, like I do know like what Christians need. They need pastors and elders that are not trying to check boxes, but they want to linger with their people because there's something worth lingering over the word of God fellowship in Christ. These things are worth it. And frankly, you know, we are in a cultural moment where everything else is more important. And in some ways it's like, I have a lot of weaknesses, right? You know, many of them, but I am a lingerer and it's, and God is pressing me like, it's a gift to the church. It's a gift to the church to be able to linger. Not just, not just talking about the length of sermons, but like the impulse to want to stay a little longer with the people of God. I'm saying, that's in the text. This is a deep apostolic impulse. It's modeled here, it's preserved here in order to shape something about the convictions of the people of God. Here's the reality. We're all lingerers. The question is, what do we linger over? What do we love to linger over? That's what we have to wrestle with. This text kind of confronts us with it as we see this apostolic example set before us. It's very powerful, this example from the Apostle Paul. (coughs) Now, so that's what's being clearly illustrated here. In this text, that's what ties these two sections together of these geographical travel details. And this story is that there's this deep impulse to want to linger with the people of God over the truth of God's word. And (laughs) Paul's earnestness is such a deep illustration to us about how disciples are made. And this is in my bloodstream. Disciples are made by a community of believers who know how to linger. A community of believers that don't, not just be together, not just stay a little bit longer, but love to linger in the truth of God's word together. Love to linger in the Christian life. Love to stay long enough in each other's life to see each other encouraged in Christ regularly. And um, so think about discipleship this way. Okay? For Paul, he understood how disciples were made. That's why he lingered so often as he did. It's not efficient. Okay? I will grant it, right? If you're in your mind, you're just going, oh, this is the most efficient. You're right. Making disciples is not efficient. Sanctification, the entire process that we're in of becoming more like Christ, is not efficient. In fact, the way God does it, He doesn't just take us A to B, He takes us on the scenic route all the time right? We could argue with God that he's not efficient in the way that he sanctifies us. Well, discipleship is not an efficient process, but it is effective. Lingering is not efficient, but it is effective. Paul says that I labor to see Christ formed in people. That takes time. Paul got it. Paul lingered like his Lord. Considered with me. Consider it with me. You know, I've lifted up the example of the apostle Paul because it's there in the text. Where did he get it? Where did he get it? Let's think about the Lord Jesus as our lingering Lord. Consider his life with me. How he lingered with the sick. Right? There were a constant stream of sick and infirmed people coming to him, and he would linger still longer. No doubt wearied from all day of people coming to him. It was already a long day. Then the line shows up at the, get the knock at the door, and there's hundreds and hundreds of of the most bodily broken people at the door. But he lingered with the sick. Think about our, how our Lord lingered with the hungry, right? Multiple times, feeding of the 5,000, the 4,000, right? He lingers with them. He feeds them in spirit and in body. And then when his deci- he sends his disciples on away because he knows how weary they are, and he lingers still longer to dismiss the crowds in a very personal way. Think about how he lingered with his disciples, right? He would teach multitudes, right? And then how he would linger with his own disciples afterwards to make sure they get it. Take a little bit more time to linger for their saints. Think about how he lingered with sinners. He was known as a friend of tax collectors and sinners, right? He lingered with them, not just to be with sinners, but to summon them to himself, as their Savior, to summon them out of their sins to himself. But he lingered with them. Think about how he lingered. One story that stands out. Think about how he lingered with a woman who had a chronic bleeding problem, right? Remember, Jesus was just told about Jairus' daughter who was dying, and he was going to go with to heal her, and there's just this desperation, this urgency in the air. And you think he just drop everything, right? Well, then this woman, as he's in the crowd, tugs at his cloak. And he doesn't go, sorry, I got other things to do. He lingers. He lingers with her. Her entire life, after 12 years of isolation, got flipped on the head because he lingered. He stayed a little bit longer, drew her out, healed her had her restored publicly in that moment so now she can be back into the swing of society. Like he gave her a gift because he lingered. And then he went and healed Jairus' daughter in his own good time. Think about how he lingered with an ashamed, wayward Christian. Peter messed up pretty big, didn't he? Right, after denying his Lord, the one who poured into him day and night for three years, and then when you know, when tough times came and he got put pressure got put on him, he acted like he didn't even know Jesus. I don't know Jesus who He did it three times. And he was cut to the heart, he wept bitterly, and he had a couple of long days during Jesus' death, burial, and the time of waiting. But after the resurrection, What did our Lord do? He took Peter for a walk. Takes time, doesn't it? Takes time to see wayward Christians restored. He had to linger a little bit longer. I can tell you, Peter never forgot how his Lord lingered with him that day. I bet you it changed the way he was willing to linger with strugglers. Our Lord was a lingering Lord. Think about how he lingered with nervous, soon-to-be missionaries, right? 40 days, right, after his resurrection. He's lingering. He's staying a little bit longer, teaching them about the kingdom, helping them prepare for what's to come. How many times he appeared to the disciples. He's lingering with them, trying to provide some stability for their souls before he ascends into heaven. Think about this. Children. All the children in here. Would you get your eyes up here? Guys? The Lord Jesus, he didn't just linger for the older people. He lingered with children. Right? The others were like, the kids wanted to come to him, and, he, and they're like, no, 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 he's got big, important things to do. And he said, stop, let them come. Let the children come to me. And the Lord lingered with the children. He took the time for them, ones that would easily be passed over, especially in that society, right? He would take the time to just linger and spend time with a minister and bless their little hearts. He lingered with the little children. This is our lingering Lord. It wasn't just with people, though. He also lingered with his father in prayer, often in the habit of pulling away, just to go linger in the presence of his father, especially as he was in the shadow of a cross that was looming overhead. And uh, just think about this. In all of these examples, and we're not exhausting it, he did have places to go and people to see, but he was never in a hurry. Do you notice that? That's something about... Jesus' life that feels so elusive to me. Like I want to pattern my life after Christ, but I just, I just see this, this this, busyness in the heart, this feeling of, you know, there can be something that's urgent too, but just this, this hurriedness in my heart, you know? But I look at Jesus and I'm just constantly reminded, man, he wasn't like that. He had people to see, places to go, but he was never in a hurry. That's something that's worth a lot of contemplation. Uh, in all of our lives, as we seek to be conformed to the image of Christ, the Lord Jesus lingered. In no place did he linger that was more important than when he lingered on the cross. Consider that day. For the hours that he hung there, lingering, lingering, lingering. He was willing to stay a little bit longer as he was absorbing the wrath of Almighty God on behalf of every sinner that would ever put their trust in him. He lingered until he had absorbed every last bit of God's almighty wrath on behalf of the elect. And when he had finished it, he said, it is finished. He lingered for sinners like us. He's our lingering Lord. He lingered so that we can have life. And all of us need to be reminded of that today. And some of you have such restless hearts because you've never found rest in Jesus Christ. And I just want to present him to you today and say, he lingered on the cross so that you could have life. So don't linger in your sin any longer. Repent of it and run to the one who is still willing to linger. And even the fact that he hasn't come back yet is evidence of his mercy towards sinners like you. And so come. Don't presume upon it. Turn from your sins and come to him. Don't dishonor the one who is willing to experience what he experienced as he lingered for sinners. Daniel reminded us beautifully this morning in Isaiah 53 with our fighter verse, right? He wasn't lingering there for himself. It was he was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. Praise the Lord. Remember this, um Jesus went The distance. Think of all these geographical details, right? Paul went the distance to see people encouraged. Jesus went the distance to make sure no saint falls on their earthly pilgrimage, right? He endured what he endured so that you would not grow weary on the way. That Jesus died on the cross, he went the distance so that there would be an endless source of encouragement uh, for you, and for us to encourage each other with. We're not running out here, and this is for us to mine. Think about that. What Jesus did in Linger on the Cross is the basis of all Christian encouragement. Everything grows up out of that moment of lingering from our Lord Jesus Christ. And no wonder the apostles are so serious, saying, encourage one another with these things. Encourage one another with these things. Christ is coming back again. Encourage one another with these things. There's so much to encourage to encourage people with. And so I want to turn the corner here, and I believe uh, John Decker at the end of our service is going to speak a benediction over us from Romans 15 that I think helps us see that our God is a God of encouragement. And he's inspired the scriptures so that we would have no shortage of reminders of why we can be encouraged as a people of God. It's our duty to mind the scriptures like we're doing right now and encourage one another and put it to good and constant use. So I want to close with some thoughts on application. I'm not going to exhaust this, but I do want to say a few words just to get us rolling in the right direction because we must learn to linger with our brothers and sisters in order to encourage them in the truth. And so I want to give us some thoughts just to get our hearts and minds rolling in some concrete ways. We've probably seen enough in terms of what we've seen of Christ and what the Apostle Paul, enough to inspire us, but just want to give us a few concrete steps. All right, so we want to aim to encourage others with the truth. It's not enough just to be around each other, right? We want to be around each other intentionally and to build each other up with the word of God. That's what's going to make the difference. Like I love our church's impulse to linger after church, right? I love that. I think that's such a a beautiful impulse and an application of what we're talking about, that willingness to linger with God's people, not just for your sake, but for the sake of others right? To linger long enough, trust me, there's so many brothers and sisters, we just need encouragement. You could probably do a show of hands if you're like, I need some encouragement today. Well, stay after and talk to someone about it because we need to encourage one another. That should be our aim. I want to encourage others. Make that your prayer. Lord, help me to be an encouragement today to my brother or sister. You're going to have a meal with someone. Lord, help me to be an encouragement there. Um, We want to be a source of encouragement because encouragement leads to hope. And hope energizes the Christian life. Okay, So if we're really in a shortage of encouragement, we're going to be in a shortage of hope, and we're not going to be energized to live the life that God is calling us to live. Maybe an analogy will help. Okay, I was thinking about this. Um, so the way we encourage each other energizes one another, right? Our faith. Think about um, this kind of movement toward uh, battery-powered vehicles. Okay, so around here, it's not as prevalent, right? Where are the charging stations? I noticed there's one in Little Falls. They're kind of spread out, right? There's one down at, uh, what's the The Falls Park down there. I saw some charging stages down there, right? So if you have an electric vehicle, like you got to go there to plug in. Now, can you plug it in for like two seconds and then just pull it out and be like, charged? It takes time, right? You have to leave it plugged in for a while. It has to linger there for a little bit if it's going to get energized, right? If that battery's going to be replenished, right? It's the same way in the Christian life. We have to linger, but here's the thing. In the church, how healthy is the church going to be if there's like five really good encouragers? Well, it's better than none, but I hope a church isn't going to be limited to just five encouragers, that's not a sign of a healthy church, right? But... We want to have little charging stations all over the place, right? Not just relying on a few people to be the encouragement. We're all meant to be little charging stations everywhere we go where we can plug into each other, linger there together, get energized for the Christian life and continue on our way. The more charging stations there are, right? And the more that we're willing to linger and the more that's normal, the more energized we're going to be for the Christian life. And so... I want to just encourage you, like, if you're one here that that you're just like, by God's grace, he's kind of made me to be a linger- lingerer. Like, did you see evidence of that in your life? I just, I want you to look at a text like this and just go, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, you know? And maybe you're going here like, and I'm not, I mean, I go to some people to get plugged in sometimes, but I'm not. I'm not one that likes to linger and necessarily one that other people can come to as much. It's like, where do you start? You know, where do you start? I want, to start by, I want to start by saying, pray that God would cultivate this godly, even apostolic, Christ-like impulse to linger and speak the truth in other people's life. Make that a regular prayer. Lord, cultivate this in my heart. And then you got to take some, some actions. It might be good. You can say, where do I start lingering? it might be good to start lingering with people who can wisely help you learn how to linger. In other words, linger with more mature people. Linger with other Christians. Like, for example, when you think, even hearing the sermon of lingerers, who do you think of in the church? It would probably be good to spend extra time with them as you're learning to linger. Um, that's how God has designed the Christian, the Christian life. The most solid saints are those who linger So, linger with someone that could rub off on you, and it would be a good thing. And uh, I've heard this acronym even back from my college days FAT. You want to be fat, faithful, available, teachable. Okay? This is, there's just no, it's not rocket science of the Christian life. The people that grow the most are people that are going to linger and often attach themselves to other people that can help them grow. Just Paul understood that, Uh, the saints of old understood that. We want to understand that as a church that takes discipleship very seriously. Think this way about growth. It's not going to happen automatically. It's kind of like just trying to plug it in and pull it out and expect it to be charged. It takes time. Think about growth as slow, but it's possible. It's going to happen. And this is why, you know, we'll make use of some programs here and there, but we're not going to be an overly programmatic church. And part of the reason for that is because you can have churches that look really good on the outside because they have tons of programs, and it seems like people are plugging in. But it's it's not nourishing their souls because God's meant it to be more organic in many ways. And so take the time to linger. Think about personal discipleship. This is how disciples are made, by lingering. It takes time to build solid saints, and it's, again, not an efficient process but it is an effective one. And oh, that God would sink this conviction down deeper. Um, I want to encourage us to, and this might be good for some of us, uh, especially that we pride ourselves on being very efficient. Um, And so it's like culturally cool, but spiritually detrimental, (laughs) you know? Like learn to value and prioritize people, not just task completion and efficiency. So like what, ask yourself, what am I prioritizing right now? This could be a mother in the home. What am I prioritizing? Is it a good day when I get a bunch of tasks done? Or is it, yes, you got to get some things done, but lingering with the little image bearers in your home. Like lingering with truth to try to implant some things deep. It takes time. Think about the home. It takes time to raise up children that know how to linger. So prioritize lingering. Think about relationships as places to learn to linger in your marriage. It's not just quality time in terms of just being together. This is about having the word of God saturate your marriage. And that's why I can even say sometimes the best place to linger to begin is to really linger with people that can help you live the Christian life because it has a trickle down to every other area. Otherwise, we just get stifled so much. We have to grow so that we have something to give in our marriages, in um, our children. So linger Linger in your marriage. Linger beside your child's bed at night in conversation. Linger in family worship. Linger with that coworker that you have a burden for. You got to linger there. You got to stay a little bit longer, a little bit longer, because it's lingering there. Then all of a sudden, something happens in a conversation and a door is opened. But you have to be willing to linger. Efficiency isn't always going to deliver. It's not efficient but it is powerfully affected. God wants his people to have hearts like his, willing to go great distances, to encourage fellow Christ followers, and willing to linger for his blood-bought people. Let's learn to linger like our Lord, because we are going to be lingering with our Lord for all eternity. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we come in your name and we know, Lord, that if it wasn't for your willingness to linger with sinners like us and for sinners like us, we would not have hearts, even hearts that hear a word like this and long to have a a bigger, lingering heart. Oh, Lord, all of our hearts are so small compared to yours, Lord Jesus. We pray that you would grow them, that you would enlarge them, that you would teach us to linger like you. We thank you for staying on the cross until all the work was done. Thank you for doing it for us, for lingering for us, so that we can have hope. Lord, I pray for those here that don't know you. I pray, Lord, that they would turn to you, that they would turn to you in repentance and faith, and that you would grant them new life in the Spirit. I thank you, Lord, that you do not turn away anyone who comes to you in faith. Lord, I pray that you would energize your people. I pray that your church would truly be like all these plug-in stations, charging stations all over, that everybody's seeking to be encouraging to others. Lord, that your church would be energized to live the Christian life. I pray that even after our service today, we would encourage one another. I pray that even as we sing, Lord, that we would encourage one another through our singing. Lord, would you be glorified? We thank you that you care so much about each one of your children being encouraged today. Oh Lord, let your children encourage one another for the glory of your name. Teach us to linger, Lord. Help us to be countercultural in this way. Help us to tri- prioritize people more than tasks. And Lord, help us to know when, there's, when it's time not to linger because there's something else that we have to press in on and other people to linger with over there. Lord, we need so much wisdom to do this. And so, Lord, I trust that this will spark many good conversations. And I trust, Lord, that we've seen more of your Son, Jesus Christ, today. Lord Jesus, you are a beautiful Savior. Thank you for lingering with us. Would you be enthroned on our praises? And would you abide with us, Lord? May our longing to be near you all the time, as we look forward to being near you in person in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen.